You could take your Bible and turn to the book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 25 will be our text. Our current series that we're on uh, this first part of January, we're calling Anchored, Essential Truths to Live By. And the reason why I've chosen this series is because as we go into a new year, we often face change, confusion, and and crisis. It reminds me, as I said in the All Things Trinity uh, mailing this week, a new year reminds me that life is always changing, and with change often comes difficult times. What is going to anchor us to the truth? And these three truths that I have uh, decided to preach on these few weeks are an answer to three basic questions. There are many questions that we could ask, but here are the questions that are really basic. Every human must struggle through, must seek to answer. What is real? How can I know? And where do I find meaning in life? Last week, we investigated that question, what is real? And what we proclaim, the truth to cling to, is that there is a living God. And the focus of that message was that knowing God means grasping by faith that He is and He is a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. And this week, our statement answers the second question, how can I know? And that is that He has revealed Himself in the Bible. He has revealed Himself in the Bible. Now, can you remember what it was like to take tests at school? Those of you who are in school right now, they're like, yeah, that's a pretty fresh memory, just last semester, and you have some more tests coming up. And for some of you, it may be like reaching way, way, way back in your memory. Last, last time you took a test, you can't even remember. I remember very vividly what it's like to take tests in school because I just graduated from school. Like, I had my last semester this past this past May, uh, with, my, with my doctorate, my wife says I'm not allowed to go to school anymore. No, she didn't say that, but I really am done. So, but can you remember what it was like to take tests? Did you have a favorite kind of test question? You know, you have your essay, essay questions. How many of you like essay questions? Some people are like, I don't like writing. Some people say, I like essay questions because if you just write enough, maybe the teacher will be very tired and bleary-eyed and he'll see a bunch of squiggles on the page and assume, boy, that person did a lot of work when really you're just using your imagination to write a lot on that essay question. Maybe some of you are like, no, give me a multiple choice uh, question because I know that at least there's the right answer there somewhere and by process of elimination, I can figure out what that right answer is. Or maybe you're thinking mathematically and you're thinking, no, if there's four multiple questions, multiple choices, then I have a 25% chance of getting the right answer. So I like the true and false kind of question. How many of you like are true and false kind of people? At least I have a 50% chance of getting the right answer. And some of you are saying, yeah, and even with a, a true or false, I have to answer it like this. I have to kind of do this, this strange uh, mixture between true and false. Uh, and, and you're like, I, hopefully the teacher will just think that that was the answer they're looking for. But, but now, now, students, let me just say, please don't get any ideas, right? I mean, my, my point in doing that was not to give you clever ideas about how to answer true and false questions in school. But just imagine with me, if you will, imagine, imagine what life would be like if there was no such thing as truth. No such thing as truth. Maybe you're a student and you're thinking, hey, that'd be pretty cool because then when I have a spelling test and they, the spelling word is cat and I could spell it K-A-T and that'd be the, that, there wouldn't be a, that wouldn't be false, it wouldn't be true. I mean, but then by the same reasoning, you can spell cat C-A-T and the teacher could say, that's wrong. 
There is no truth. There is no falsehood. The worst chaos would happen at work. You arrive at 8 o'clock and your boss says, you're late. And you say, well, hey, that's what time you told me to get here. And he said, who cares? There's no true or false. And besides, you embezzled $2 million yesterday. And you're like, that's not, well, you can't say that's not true because there's no such thing as truth. No such thing as truth or falsehood. There's no lawyer to argue your case. There's no employee contract that matters anymore. And you might say, well, thankfully our world isn't in such chaos. Perhaps not on that level, but when it comes to the most important questions in life, what's true about right and wrong? What's the true meaning in life? We read the newspapers and we see this baffling mixture of good and evil, people claiming one thing or another, and, and we see that human beings themselves, we ourselves are this perplexing mixture of, of, of greatness and wretchedness, of, of grandeur and mystery, and we wonder, what's the truth about all this? We, we need truth. And some people would reply that there is really no final authoritative answer to these kinds of questions. That according to this view, the universe is this kind of eerie, museum of display after display of bizarre mixture of good and evil, ugliness and beauty with, with no text to explain it, with no guided tour, no explanation whatsoever. There is no truth. Other people might say, no, it's not quite like that, but we have to speak truth. We have to make up our own truth. We have to create our own meaning. We have to speak our own voices into this empty, silent universe. Perhaps that's one reason why we are in such a mess today. Billions of people trying to create their own truth, their own meaning, their own way. But this isn't just a philosophical question. What if there was no truth? This is a deeply practical question. If there's no truth, upon which values are you going to choose? You're a young person. You're going to choose what career to go into. Upon which values are you going to choose who you should marry? Upon which values are you going to choose how to rear your children or how to plan for retirement? I mean, what is true? Where is meaning? Is there any authoritative, definitive answer that we could go to and say that is truth? What about the ultimate question? What lies beyond the grave? Is there any truth about that? Is this universe just this bizarre museum that's entombed in silence or in which we must simply cry out and listen to the echoes of our own bewildered voices. But that is not the universe presented in Scripture. Because when you open the Bible, you get this proclamation that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and here is where a voice comes in. And God said, let there be light. Notice carefully that Genesis chapter 1, verse 1 is a summary of the first two chapters to come. But what was the very first action that took place? What was it that, that caused this universe to begin to leap into existence? It was the voice of God speaking. It was words, revelation, Communication, this is not a silent universe. This is not a universe to be filled only with the echoes of our perplexed questions. This is a universe whose very existence leaps from the mouth of God. That is the universe that we live in. It is a universe in which God has spoken and which owes its very existence to the speaking of God. God has spoken. And so our first encounter with God 
is in the Bible, is not a deity who veils himself behind the cloak of silence, but one who's revealed himself to us. Now, not only did he reveal to himself to us in the beginning of creation, not only did he speak the world into existence, but he continues to do so. And that's why in Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 3, it says this, he, referring to Jesus Christ, upholds the universe by what? By the word of his power. This is the powerful word that spoke the universe into existence, and it's the word that continues to sustain the existence of the universe. This is the powerful word of God. Now, here then is what I want to emphasize to you in answer to the question, how can we know? How can we know the truth? It is, this is, to put it in terms of this series on being anchored, this is the truth that you must anchor your life to. When things get confusing, confusing when you're perplexed about, about the choices that you should make, when you feel hurt or wronged, when you don't know what to do, when things seem out of control, here's a truth that you must grab a hold of, and it is that, that God has revealed Himself in the Bible. He has revealed Himself in the Bible. And that's why the primary Scripture text that I've asked you to give your attention to is Hebrews 12.25. Here it is. God has spoken, and see that you do not refuse Him who is speaking. See that you do not refuse him who is speaking. And here's how I want to divide this message in two parts, very simply, easy to remember. God speaks, so we must listen. God speaks, so we must listen. Well, you say, well, God speaks, so I, I've never heard God speak before. Well, none of us have heard God in an audible voice. So how does God speak to us today? How is it that God communicates to us today? There are two ways that God speaks to us, and they've been called over the years the Word of Nature, or the Book of Nature and the Book of Scripture. The Book of Nature and the Book of Scripture, and theologians call these general revelation and special revelation. Two ways in which God reveals Himself to human beings, the book of nature and the book of Scripture. And we see the book of nature in Psalm 19. Psalm 19, which, which we read earlier, and I'm so glad that Pastor Kyle brought our attention to, that says that the heavens, what, declare the glory of God. And the sky above proclaims His handiwork day to day, pours out speech. Every single day is pouring out a kind of speech, not a kind of speech in syllables, sentences, syntax, and grammar. No, no, it's, it's a kind of speech that anybody can understand no matter what language you speak. And night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth and their words to the end of the world. Now, remember, that was written 3,000 years ago. And you might think, man, 3,000 years ago, of course those ancient dullards were amazed by the heavens. To us, it's pretty boring right now, right? <laughs> I mean, we, obviously, we don't have anything left to explore. No. I mean, the more we begin to probe 
our universe, the more we continue to be absolutely amazed and dumbfounded and in awe. Like 500 years ago was a scientific revolution. Do you think that 500 years have been sufficient to exhaust the wonders of our universe? No, we realize that we've just begun to nibble on the edges of infinity. The further out we explore, the more there is to cause us to stand back, cover our mouths in awe and silence at this unbelievable thing we call our universe. Is it true? Yes, the heavens declare the glory of God. From the, from the brightest supernova to the tiniest atom, all of it declares what a great and glorious God that there is that, that created all these things. And yet, when we look at the world around us, it's obvious that something has gone wrong because the story of glory has been smudged over with our sin. The story of nature does not reveal God, or at least the way that we read the story of nature no longer reveals God as He truly is. Another story written between the lines is a tale of selfishness and rebellion and despair and, and destruction. I mean, this is what's going on in the world now, and we can trace, all, although still, yes, the heavens They still declare the glory of God, and yet there is something that happened, and it's all the way back in Genesis chapter 3 and verses 17 and 19. And and listen to these words. This is what happened because of human sin. God said, cursed is the ground because of you. That is referring to Adam who chose to disobey God's command. In pain you shall eat it all the day of it all the days of your life thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you and you shall eat the plants of the field by the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground for out of it you were taken for you are dust and to dust you shall return men and women that is why on some days you can look up at the starry sky and think wow what an amazing creator we have And in other days, you can look at the trash piles around us and think, what a dump. (laughs) What have we done to this world? What have we done to ourselves? It is because of human sin that we fail to read the book of nature as we should. We find this spoken so clearly of in Romans chapter 1. Where Paul says this, for what can be known about God is plain to them. That is, certain truths about God is plain crystal clear to human beings. What is clear? God has shown it to them. What? His invisible attributes, namely His eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived by the things that have been created, by what God has made ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made, so they are without excuse For although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him, but became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. And here's what I'm I'm telling you. We're asking the question, is there any truth? How can we know true meaning in life? The answer is, this is not a silent universe. This is not an echo chamber of our own attempts to create meaning. It is a universe in which God has spoken, and He's revealed Himself in two ways, the book of nature and the book of Scripture. But something has gone wrong with the book of nature, and it's because of human sin. And while there is enough in the book of nature to show us that there is a God, 
and that He is unimaginably powerful and unimaginably glorious, there is insufficient in the book of nature to show us how to have a right relationship with Him. And that is why we need what we call special revelation, the book of Scripture. Yes, the heavens declare the glory of God, but they don't tell us how to have a right relationship with Him. For that, we need God to speak to us in syllables, human language, and that's what we call special revelation, the book of Scripture. We read Psalm 19. The first half of that psalm speaks of general revelation. The second half of that psalm speaks of this book of Scripture. Here's what it says. The law of the Lord is perfect. Yes, the heavens declare the glory of God, but in a perfect, specific way, in human language, the law of the Lord reveals who God is. Reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. The book of nature, the heavens declare the glory of God, and there's the book of Scripture. The law of the Lord is perfect. Now, what is this book of Scripture? It is the 66 books that you hold, the 66 books of the Bible that you hold in your lap. It is the Word of God. It is the Scripture, the Bible. What is this Bible? It's a library of many books written by over 40 different authors over a span of 1,500 years across three continents, and yet all of them speak with one voice because there is truly one author, and that author is God. This is the book of Scripture. This is the Word of God. What is this book all about? What is it saying? If it's speaking with one voice, if there's one author, what is it saying? Here's what it is saying. It is telling us of God's plan to restore rebellious and ruined humans to a right relationship with Him. That's what this book is all about. It's showing us how God has planned to restore His lost and ruined creation, human beings to have a right relationship with with Him through Jesus Christ for His glory. That's what the Bible is all about. Now, it would be outside the limits of our time this morning to prove that from Scripture, but I at least want to tell you that this is what Jesus Himself believed about the Bible, about the Old Testament. So when Jesus talked about the Old Testament, what did He say it was all about? You remember this story in the end of the book of the Gospel of Luke when Jesus meets two of his followers on the road to Emmaus, and he, and he doesn't let them know who he is. He kind of hides his identity from them, and they're sorrowful because Jesus has, has died on the cross. They, at this point, haven't heard or have not believed that he was actually risen from the dead, and, and they're, they're recounting the things that have been happening in the life of Christ, and he's just listening to this, and then he rebukes them for being so slow to believe everything that Moses and the prophets have been talking about. They were supposed to have seen that this whole Old Testament is actually a revelation of Jesus Christ. And then then Luke tells us that Jesus begins to explain, beginning with Moses and all throughout the rest of the Old Testament, how this book explains Himself, how the Bible reveals Jesus Christ. 
That's what the Bible is all about. It's about God's plan to restore His rebellious and ruined creatures into a right relationship with Him through Jesus Christ for His glory. That's the message of the Bible. And where this comes down to is this in Hebrews chapter 1, when the author of Hebrews summarizes the Old Testament and says that God in many times and in many ways spoke to our fathers by the prophets. Now, in these last times, which are the times that we are living in right now, He has spoken unto us by whom? By His Son, that's Jesus Christ, whom He appointed heir of all things, by whom also He created the worlds. What does that mean for us? It means that God has spoken. It means this, see that you refuse not him who speaks. This is what the, the writer of Hebrews is proving throughout this whole point. See, God has spoken. He's spoken in the book of nature. He's spoken in the book of Scripture. He's given general revelation, and he's given special, specific revelation. God has spoken. So, so what does that mean for us? It means God speaks, so we must listen. This, this powerful word from God, he, he, is, he is speaking, and that means that you and I must give Him our utmost attention. We must listen. Now, you may be thinking of an objection here to this, this book itself. And again, it could be that you're here and you're, you're attracted to some things about what we do here in church, but when it comes to the Bible, you still feel a little skeptical. And it could be that you... That you're a believer, but, but you still have heard things about the Bible, and you're like, it, it, the Bible you may have heard is full of contradictions, and, uh, things about science and, and history that, that we now know are, are outdated. Now, in this message, we don't have time to go into all that, but let me, if, if that's your objection in your mind, if, if you're just thinking, yeah, listen to the Word of God, listen to the Bible, but, but can we really trust this book? Let me give you a dare. And here's the dare. Read it. Read the Bible. Read it as one book. And as you read it, see if it doesn't begin to stun you with its beauty and completeness. See if the words in this book don't begin to echo right down into the chamber of your soul and give you the sense that whoever wrote this book knows you far better than you even know yourself. Read it. Not to criticize or to chop it into pieces, but read it. And if you hear the voice speaking to you through this word, you must know that it is the voice of God and you must listen. And you may discover what, what countless people throughout history have discovered before you who also have read this book, that God is speaking through this book, that this is the Word of God and you must listen. So read it. And for those of you who are believers, you must listen to the Word of God. As I was preparing for this message, I was just flipping through the Bible and, and looking at various scriptures that talk about the, the Word of God. And so let me just present to you 15 reasons. Don't try to write them down. Just, just let them 
wash over you, okay, as I present these reasons from Scripture that you should listen to the Word of God. Listen to the Word of God because it is the power that brought you the universe into existence, Genesis 1-3. It is the seed that brings you to life, 1 Peter 1-23. It is the truth that sanctifies and sets you free. It is the light that guides you, Psalm 119-105. It is the mirror that shows you who you are, James 1.23. It is the joy and delight of your heart, Jeremiah 15.16. It is the river that makes you flourish, Psalm 1.3. It is the water that washes you. It is the course that educates you, Psalm 119.130. It is the gold that enriches you, Psalm 19.10. It is the bread that nourishes you, Matthew 4.4. It is the courage that emboldens you, Psalm 56.4. It is the song that we can sing together as a church, Colossians 3.16. It is the sword that arms you for battle, Ephesians 6.17. It is the very breath of God, 2 Timothy 3.16. That is why we must listen when God speaks. It is this and much more. And the question is then, for those of you who are believers and you're thinking, I want this. I want this. I want this in my life for 2019, more than it was in 2018. I want this. All right, all right. Here's, here's how to listen. If it is true that God is speaking and that He speaks generally in the book of nature, specifically in the book of Scripture, and that God is speaking to you and that this book is so powerful and life-changing and transformative, how can you hear it? How can you be a receiver of the Word of God? Here's how. I'm just going to give you five ways in which you can listen to the Word of God. Listen in faith. Listen in faith. very sobering word from Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 2 says this, for good news came to us just as it came to them, referring to the people in Israel who doubted the, uh, in the wilderness, who doubted the word of God. The good news came to us just as it did to them. What's the difference? The message they heard did not benefit them. Why? Because they were un not united by faith with those who listened. When you read the Bible, you must read with the unshakable conviction that this is the Word of God speaking to you. Second, read in humility. Read it in humility. This is what James is talking about when he says in James chapter 1, verses 19 through 21, Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. You must receive the word of God with humility. Third, you must listen in discipline, with discipline. And here's what I mean by that, is that you must exercise some discipline to make it happen. This is what James is talking about when, when you have to still some noises in your life so that the Word of God can be heard. I wonder what has filled your life with so much noise and static and confusion 
confusion that, that you can't even hear the voice of God speaking through the Word? Is it social media? Is it some anxiety in your life? Is it some relational challenge? There, is a, there needs to be an effort to still the silence both within you and without you so that you can hear the voice of God speaking, and that takes some discipline. You must also have discipline not only to still the noise inside and outside of you, but you, it takes discipline to actually be consistent. This is why I find it so interesting in Psalm chapter 1 and verse, uh, the first few verses when the psalmist says that the blessed man, his delight is in the law of the Lord. So the law of the Lord is what delights him, like, like ice cream delights me like dark chocolate delights me. I mean, I don't have to be disciplined to eat ice cream and dark chocolate. It's not something like, say, oh, it's about 8 o'clock in the evening, about time to open the freezer and pull out the ice cream. Got to remember to do that every day. Put it in my calendar. No, it's something that I tend to do automatically unless I discipline myself not to. It's like in Psalm 1, the Word of God is a delight to the psalmist, and yet it says on His law He meditates day and night. There's a discipline and a duty The Word of God must be fused with discipline and duty for it to be effective in our lives, with discipline, delight, and delight, and so forth. We must listen with delight. This is something that can make us rejoice, something that makes our hearts leap with joy. And fifth, this is something that we do together with fellowship. We listen in fellowship. This is what Paul meant in Colossians chapter 3, verse 16. He says this, Let the word of Christ, the word of God, again, this is God speaking, let the word of Christ dwell in you, and the word you there is plural. So he's speaking to the people, the, the people plural in the church that he's writing this. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Okay, so what he's saying is give the word of Christ a royal, rich dwelling among you. And here's what that looks like. It looks like this, teaching and admonishing one another. How do we teach and admonish one another? Well, we do it in music. He says this, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. We must listen to the Word of God and let it thrive among us in fellowship with each other. Listening to Scripture is not something, and listening to the Word of God and reading the Bible is not something you just do all by yourself, although you must do it by yourself. It's something you also do with others, and we do that here in church. How do you listen to the Word of God? In faith, humility, discipline, delight, and fellowship. And in that way, we can see that you do not refuse Him who is speaking. Now, what can happen when you do this? What can you expect? Psalm 19 verse 7 says, the law of the Lord is perfect. Anybody know the next word? Reviving the soul. When you give the Word of God your careful attention, it could bring personal revival. Do you believe that revival can happen? Do you believe that God can stir in your heart in a way that He hasn't stirred for a long time? Do you believe that God can awaken affections for you that have been stifled by layer after layer of sin? I believe God can do that because I believe that God speaks. 
I believe God can do that because I believe that God says the Word of God is perfect and it revives your soul. If you begin to give the Word of God the attention that it absolutely deserves, I guarantee you this is what will happen, revival. God will begin to revival. What is revival? It is not the product of highly engineered concerts and fog machines and emotional appeals. Revival is simply the result of God's people listening to God's Word and God choosing by His Spirit to stir in their affections to confess and repent of their sin and to pursue holiness. That's simply what revival is. And that can happen among us, that can happen with you, and that can happen when you listen to the Word of God because God has spoken and so we must listen. That is what you can expect in 2019 if you give the Word of God the attention it deserves. Spiritual revival. Do you want to be different than you are now? I do. Do you want to be saddled with the same old habits and the same old anxieties and the same old fears and all the other junk that you had accumulated in the past years? I don't. Here's what God's Word can do. This is what Paul is talking about in 2 Timothy when he says that all Scripture is breathed out by God and it's profitable for teaching and for reproof and for correction and for training in righteousness. What's the effect of that? That the man of God may be perfect, mature, thoroughly furnished for all good works. Here's what happens when you give the Word of God the attention it deserves. You grow in Christian maturity. Don't you want that to happen? I do. I want that for me. I want that for my family. I want that for you as my church family, that we would give God's Word the attention it deserves. God has spoken. We must listen. Revival can happen. It can happen personally. Growth can happen. This is what Peter is talking about in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 2, like newborn infants Long for the pure spiritual milk. That's referring to the Word of God, that by it you may grow up into salvation. Not only as an individual, but as a church. What, what, what do you think caused the growth of the early church? What do you think spurred on that little tiny movement that began with just a handful of fishermen and, and peasants there in Galilee? What happened? How did that happen? How did it turn into a movement that absolutely turned the world upside down? We don't have to guess at the answer. We find it in the book of Acts. And if you read the book of Acts, you'll find out that every time that the church grew, every time that the church began to prosper, it was when the Word of God received the attention it deserved. It was the preaching of the Word. After Peter preached the Word in Acts chapter 2 and verse 37, and people, the Bible tells us, were cut to the heart. What happened? 3,000 souls were added to the church. After an initial bout of persecution, the people were threatened. The Christians were threatened. Some of their leaders were put in prison. And then they had a prayer meeting. And what do you think they prayed about? What would you pray about if some of our, our church leaders were put into prison? Well, we probably would be praying that they would get out of prison. But you know, that's not what they prayed for. They didn't pray that they would get relief from persecution. They prayed that they would simply have the boldness to continue to speak what? The Word of God. They, can, they pray that God's Word would continue to have the power that it had. We read this, the churches were strengthened in the faith and they increased in numbers daily. Luke tells us in chapter 19, verse 20, so the Word of the Lord, get it? That's the Word of God continued to increase and prevail mightily. And how does the book of Acts end? Here, here's how it ends. It ends with Paul under house arrest. And I think, well, that's kind of a lame ending to a, to a story about the early church. ha. <laughs> No, no, but here's what was going on. He continued to teach the Word of God. 
And, and the closing words in the book of Acts is that even though he was under house arrest in Rome, he continued to proclaim the kingdom of God and teach about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. And that's why I think that he wrote later on in 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 9, I am suffering for the gospel, bound with chains as a criminal, but the word of God is not bound. God's word is the boundless power that continues to build the church that is the Word of God. Can this happen to us? Can this happen to you? It can, because God has spoken and continues to speak. Brothers and sisters, if we don't have the Word of God, we don't have anything. If we don't have the Word of God, we have no answers in life but we do. And with it, all the power that we need to live godly lives, all the power that you need to abandon those habits, to revive your heart, to comfort your sorrows, to still your anxieties, to soothe your fears, to stir you out of apathy, it's all you need, and it's right here. Will you give it the attention it deserves in this year? Will 2019 be the year that you become stable and rooted and grounded in this book? That can be you. Read the Bible. Make this your meditation so that you can be anchored, anchored in the Word of God. Let's bow our heads and pray together. I think it would be entirely appropriate for me to use this time to urge you to make a commitment to read the Bible every day. You may say, I'm not used to reading the Bible. I'm not in the habit of reading the Bible. This can be the time you begin that habit. It doesn't have to be starting with four or five chapters a day. It could be eight verses a day doesn't have to be some ambitious plan to even read the whole Bible, although I urge you to make that your, your plan for the year. But it can even be just start, starting with the book of John. The point is, read the Bible. Read it more than you did last year. Read it with faith. Read it with humility. Read it with discipline. Read it with delight. Read it with other people. Will you make that commitment? And if you're here this morning and you have never trusted Jesus Christ, you, you don't even, you're not even sure whether this is what you believe. Let me urge you with this. You read the Bible too. You take the book of John and you read it from front to back. If you have more questions, Please, please, I would love to talk with you. Talk with someone here. Talk with one of our pastors. I'll be in the lobby right after the service, but don't leave here without talking to one of us. I'll pray. Our Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for its power. I pray that it would continue to flourish among us. I pray that we would let the word of Christ dwell in us richly so that we would teach and admonish one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, 
and that all this would be for your glory. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.